Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey, what's up? It's Devin, and I need to give you a warning for this episode. There are some accounts of violence that contain explicit details and strong language that you may find upsetting. The world can be a dangerous place if you're a transgender person. Trans people are discriminated against, they're assaulted, and in the worst cases, they're killed. And this kind of harm to trans people can be found all over our society. But there's one place that we need to pay special attention to. Prisons. I never felt like I would ever get a chance to be me. That I had to live in a world where violence was always going to be what I had to deal with, what I had to live with. California has expanded resources for transgender inmates over the years. But there's still a long way to go. Now a new bill would let transgender inmates choose whether they want to be housed in men's or women's facilities. But is that enough to keep trans people safe? I'm Devin Kadiyama. Welcome to The Bay. Everybody calls her Kat. Miranda Leitzinger is a reporter with KQED. Ekaterina Wesa-Patience grew up in North Carolina. She left home when she was about 14, uh, moved to California, and lived with a relative for a little bit, but eventually found herself on the streets of L.A. And over a number of years ended up committing the crime that led her into first county jail and then to prison. She said that, you know, growing up as a child in North Carolina, she knew about her gender identity, about being a girl, that she walked like a girl, talked like a girl, that she she expressed herself as a girl. When I was born, we didn't have a term called transgender. As far as my parents knew, I was just kind of an odd little kid. Um, it wasn't until I came out here when I was about 15 that I first even heard the term. And even then, I didn't know what it was. I just always kind of identified myself as a girl. And I never really lived it out openly because you can't do that back there. When she first got into county jail as a teenager, she thought, uh, you know, it would be okay to be out, but she quickly, you know, learned the prison system was not going to be a place that she could be herself. The very first prison I went to at Pelican Bay, I was raped. And I immediately cut all my hair off kept my head bald for the next 27 years. I grew a mustache and a goatee and tried to adopt the hardest walk I could on the yard. I was terrified of it happening again and I was, I was not gonna be out for somebody else to do it. 
when she got into, uh, you know, California State Prison, she she was raped. And she said that she immediately, you know, realized that she could not present herself as her true self and that she would have to be, you know, the toughest guy on the yard. Each prison, I just became more um, aggressive, more uh, masculine, and more, um, more brash, more rude, you know. Give them a complete different look, you know, make them think off the top that I was a problem that you didn't want to have. You know, unfortunately, around 18 months later, she said she was raped again at another prison. So it was something that, even though she tried to conceal, it still could be perceived that she was transgender. Then she spent the next, you know, two decades in the closet, essentially. And she got into every fight that she needed to. She did whatever she could to not be a victim again. And finally, she reached a point where she had uh, what she called uh, a mental breakdown. I literally fell apart. I couldn't hold it together anymore. And she told the nurse that she was a woman. And she said, I'm, I'm admitting this for the first time. And she was kind of shocked. She really couldn't understand that I had spent all my life just hiding it because I seemed like I had it together. I seemed like I was so confident, so strong. And I would cry almost every night. Kat is one of about 1,200 inmates in California state prisons who are transgender, gender nonconforming, or intersex, which makes up less than 1% of the state prison population. And these inmates are often in danger. Prison is not a safe place for anyone, right. but, it, but it has been a, a dangerous place, a very dangerous place for transgender people. A study done in 2007 of a single California prison found that transgender prisoners were 13 times more likely to be sexually victimized than non-transgender prisoners. They continue to experience rapes, assaults, groping, harassment, being misgendered. You know, Kat told me that she had problems with male prisoners stalking her. I had two different little stalkers. Both of them were kind of harmless, but just the fact that they were there and wouldn't leave me alone kind of made me paranoid. But uh, staff actually here, they handled the situation not too bad. You know, I've had a lot of staff consistently ask me, how am I doing, you know? I think there's more oversight, there's more care about making sure that uh, they can you know, keep the problems to a minimum for us here than I've ever seen in 25 years. There have been some positive changes that have come over the years, but you know, traditionally it's been, prison has been a pretty dark place for transgender people. When Kat first came out to that nurse, she was in a prison in San Diego, and it was a long road for her to feel comfortable with herself, on top of just trying to feel safe. She told Miranda that a few things have been a big help. She met women at the San Diego prison who helped her come out and encouraged her to act and dress in ways that fit her identity. In 2017, Kat wound up at the California Medical Facility, which is a men's prison in Vacaville. It's one of 14 so-called hubs in the state prison system that provides resources and specialized medical care, along with safe spaces for community with other trans people. They have a number of support groups. So they have transgender support group, LGBTQ support group. They also have a creative writing group for LGBTQ um, individuals, prisoners. 
and they have this workout club. Um, it just began last summer when we visited, and it was offering a safer space for transgender prisoners to be able to work out and exercise sort of free of of males, essentially, free of any of the kind of experiences that they have daily in prison or that some say they have daily in prison with with men being around. Were you doing kind of gym stuff before? Or? No, this is the first gym I ever had action to begin in for a transgender gym. That usually it's no gym and you can't do stuff like this only with trans you can, the other girls. Why couldn't you do it? It's a bunch of men mixed up and you can't be comfortable around yourself. Tell me your name again. Peaches. Yeah. Well, they felt good. They were riding bikes, playing basketball, doing stretches, uh, walking laps around this gym that looked like kind of any gym you'd see in a high school. You know, bleachers, uh, those big fans humming in the background. Are these kinds of resources common in California state prisons for transgender inmates? I do know that other prisons offer support groups. I know that in a prison in San Bernardino, they had uh, a, a fair for like post-release for transgender people, what that would look like kind of transitioning to the outside after being on the inside. But it's not clear that these are just standardized across the 14 state prisons that house transgender prisoners. Some prisoners I spoke to who had come from, uh, one who'd come from San Quentin said there were a lot more support groups for transgender people. Um, and others indicated there might be less. And when I spoke to transgender men, in a California, uh, in a facility in uh, Chowchilla, they were saying that there weren't as many. So it's not clear that there's like a standard format, but they definitely seem to have programming of some sort available at the different hubs. There was this landmark uh, lawsuit in, that was settled in 2015. A transgender prisoner, Shiloh Heavenly Quine, sued the state for the right to have gender affirmation surgery. Uh, the state settled with her and agreed to do the surgery. And as part of the settlement, a judge ordered that certain items, uh, gender affirming items like clothing, makeup, jewelry, be made available to transgender prisoners. So when we went to the California Medical Facility and we attended a transgender support group meeting, we spoke with the women about, you know, they were putting on makeup on each other and talking about how in the past they used to DIY their own cosmetics and make it out of like Kool-Aid, Folgers coffee, uh, pastels, art supplies, you know, and now they can buy them at the canteen and it helps them make that helps them feel more like themselves. These services and resources for transgender prisoners exist thanks to a series of laws and court rulings in California over the years. They include things like gender affirmation surgery, having access to items like clothing and makeup, and allowing trans inmates to officially change their gender markers and names. But critics both in California and across the nation say that some of these policies seem to only exist on paper. So, for example, two other states, uh, Connecticut and Massachusetts, have passed laws allowing transgender prisoners to, you know, to say where they want to be housed if it's a facility that matches their gender identity. And yet there still have been lawsuits after the, these laws saying from transgender prisoners saying, well, they're not doing it. What has the, the California prison system said about this? What the California State Prison System will say is that they have made a lot of efforts and initiatives and the support groups and the workout club that we saw and the makeup are all reflective of those, you know, the transgender ID cards. Um, currently, the California State Prison System does have a policy that 
they say it does not restrict housing based on anatomy for transgender prisoners so that it, every inmate would have a case-by-case review and it doesn't matter what your anatomy is. You could be placed in one that would match your gender identity. However, I only found two women, two transgender women, who post-gender uh, affirmation surgery were now housed in a women's facility. By the way, one of those was Shiloh Quine, who we spoke about earlier, and that was ordered by the judge that she be placed in that facility, a women's facility. And when I inquired with the state prison system if transgender inmates pre-gender affirmation surgery were living in a prison that matched their gender identity, they said they didn't track that information. And so they couldn't point to any prisoners who'd actually been able to make the transfer. So there was a lawsuit that was settled in 2015, and there was a law in 2018, and now there's a different bill being considered in the state legislature, SB 132. What would this do? This bill would allow transgender prisoners to choose, with some exceptions, where they would want to be housed. Um, A lot of this is driven by the concerns for safety. So they could say, I would feel safer to be in a women's facility as a transgender woman. Um, It's passed the Senate last year. It's sponsored by State Senator Scott Weiner from a Democrat from San Francisco. He said that he wanted to go on visit with transgender prisoners this past fall to discuss the measure with them and see and hear their thoughts. In my reporting, I found that not all transgender prisoners want to be housed with prisoners who match their gender identity. I spoke to transgender men who said, you know, there was no way they would go to a ma- you know a male facility. That they thought the problems that transgender women were having in a male facility mm-hmm. that they would have too. Right. So, so again, you, the safety issue. The safety issue, yeah. So the safety issue is sort of has been the biggest driver. They think that this will help bring down those statistics that we spoke about earlier that are so high, these high rates of violence against transgender prisoners. What does Kat think about the law SB 132? Yeah, Kat is one of a number of women I spoke to who said she she would want to go. She just thinks that it will eliminate a lot of the sexual violence that they're facing. And she said to me, you know, you just never feel safe here. You can never let your guard down. So she would go, but, you know, she would like to have gender affirmation surgery before she does. Is Kat optimistic about the way things are going for trans inmates in in prison right now with the groups that she's in in Vacaville? Um, Kat, like many of the other prisoners we spoke to, while she said there has been, that things are going the right direction, there's still a long way to go. So that's sort of the way that a lot of them looked at it as saying, uh, we're happy with the direction things are taking, but, you know, this is nowhere near to where we want it to be. The bill, SB 132, was approved by the state Senate and is now awaiting action in the state assembly. Senator Scott Wiener's office says he's still getting feedback from trans advocates and inmates and that he believes the bill will pass this year. Miranda Leitzinger is a reporter with KQED. To see her full story, check out the link in our show notes. And if you like The Bay, do us a favor. If you're subscribed, go ahead and leave us a comment and a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get the show. It really helps people discover us. Uh, And if you really love us, share the bay with a friend. It's honestly the best way to get the show out there. This episode was produced by Marisol Medina Cadena and editor Alan Montesilio. 
KQED's leadership team includes Julie Kane, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it for the Bay. We'll talk to you Monday. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S.